the studies, although they went quickly, really did follow the standard development pathway. Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the January 20th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss the efficacy of mRNA vaccines in development. With us today, we have Michael G. Eisen, Professor of the Divisions of Infectious Disease and Organ Transplantation at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Thank you for your time, Dr. Eisen. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about uh, keeping up with the moving target, and we're going to really focus uh, for the next uh, period of time on the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, where we are, what our current understanding is. I think that uh, all of us have been praying for the vaccine. Now that it's here, there's been some rollout challenges and some other questions uh, that are uh, coming before us. So the COVID vaccines are really designed to help develop antibodies directed at the spike protein. This is this gray ball with the red spikes is the SARS-CoV-2 virus itself. The red spikes uh, are the spike protein, multiple of proteins that uh, come together. Uh, and the very tip shown here in blue is the receptor binding domain. This is the part that binds to the spike 2, the ACE2 receptor that causes a conformational change, which brings the cell in contact with the uh, virus and leading to infection. And so all of the uh, vaccines that we're talking about develop antibodies to different areas on that blue receptor binding domain. It's really been miraculous how quickly uh, we've developed this vaccine. Most vaccines take decades uh, from initial theory to licensure. And in fact, it was really only about a year ago that the first illnesses were identified. January 10th, the virus was sequenced. And then a, a huge amount of work to uh, develop a vaccine that was eventually licensed as an emergency use authorization on December 10th. The studies, although they went quickly, really did follow the standard development pathway, just were accelerated by uh, bringing the review process much closer to the collection of the data and overlapping pieces of the study. But the standard safety and efficacy data that would be collected for any other vaccine was collected in these studies. There are a number of vaccines that are in various phases of clinical development. There are two vaccines, the Moderna and Pfizer, that are licensed uh, here in the United States, several others that are licensed outside the United States and may be licensed in the United States in the very near future. Both of these vaccines uh, utilize a novel mRNA technology. The way that this uh, technology works is that the RNA of the virus encodes for a number of different proteins. And this vaccine basically cuts the spike protein gene 
out and puts it into a lipid nanoparticle. This lipid nanoparticle stabilizes the RNA and allows it to be safely delivered through the vaccine. A pool of these lipid nanoparticles surrounded RNA pieces are then injected into the muscle. The particle then binds to the cell wall. The RNA is released into the cytoplasm where it binds to ribosomes and basically produces the spike proteins, which are either digested within the cell naturally or expressed on the cell surface, leading to the development of the immune response, both the T and T cell and antibody responses. mRNA is a naturally part of the replication of any uh, virus. It never enters the nucleus, so there's no chance that it could muck up the DNA of, of the human being. And it's naturally degraded very shortly after it enters the cell. And so really, it isn't something that's going to be persistent there for a very long period of time. This expressed spike protein on the cell surface activates B cells and also uh, activates T cells to generate the immune responses uh, in these patients. While uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine have been approved, there are a number of other vaccines that are under development. These include mRNA vaccines, as well as viral vector vaccines that function in a very similar way, and I'll talk about those uh, in a few minutes. These, instead of using a lipid nanoparticle with RNA, basically use a virus that doesn't replicate to basically inject the genetic material into the cell. This is what the Russian vaccine, the CanSino vaccine, which are licensed outside the United States, as well as the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccine that are under development in the United States and in the case of AstraZeneca, approved outside the United States. We have now a fair amount of data for the efficacy of these vaccines. I'll first talk about the Pfizer vaccine. As you can see with the uh, Kaplan-Meier curve, you see that there is continued new cases in the blue line, which are the placebo-treated patients. And really, after about day 11 or 12, the line is relatively flat. And this is where we get the 95% protective efficacy of this vaccine. These vaccines are generally well tolerated uh, with more side effects with the second dose than the first dose. The majority of these side effects are typically mild injection site reactions, although more systemic reactions can occur, particularly in those patients getting their second dose. The Moderna vaccine looks very similar to the Pfizer vaccine, where very quickly after the vaccine, there's a divergence between the curves of patients receiving the placebo versus the mRNA. And again, in this case, it's 94.1% efficacious in preventing COVID-19. This holds true as it did with the Pfizer vaccine in all age groups and whether or not the patient has underlying medical conditions or minority ethnicity. Much like the Pfizer vaccine, generally well-tolerated, more local side effects with rare systemic side effects, particularly after the second dose. The AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine uses a chimpanzee adenoviral vector to infect the cells. This doesn't replicate, so it can't cause disease. It inserts the uh, spike protein into the cell and then causes the production of the spike protein, as I outlined before. This study basically had two dosing regimens, an inadvertent group that got a lower dose of vaccine initially, followed by standard dose, and those that got two standard doses of vaccines. The low dose had a 90% protective efficacy. The standard dose had a 60% protective efficacy. I think there's a lot of questions still behind why there was this difference and why this uh, actually happened. It isn't well outlined in the, the study. So there are 
number of protein vaccines that are uh, under development as well. These are a little bit further out from licensure in the United States, although some have been approved outside the United States. The majority that have been the focus of countries outside the United States developing these vaccines have been killed virus or inactivated viruses. And some of these have been licensed outside the U.S., uh, such as the Sinopharm and Sinovac vaccines, the Indian Bharat Biotech vaccines have been licensed for different parts of the world. And then there's the traditional protein-based vaccines where just a protein is produced and oftentimes co-formulated with an adjuvant. We're very excited about the Novavax, which is furthest ahead in the United States. This uses an adjuvant that is very similar to the adjuvant found in the Shingrix vaccine. And in fact, the Novavax vaccine seems to result in some of the highest antibody titers with the use of this uh, adjuvanted product. Uh, it, like all of the other vaccines, with the exception of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, requires two doses with really the, the greatest uh, protective efficacy after the second dose. Much like the other vaccines, there are side effects, predominantly local side effects such as a sore arm, worse after the second dose with much less frequent systemic side effects like fatigue, body aches, and just feeling a little run down as well as some headaches, worse with the second vaccine. So the biggest challenge that we have is not just getting the vaccines approved, but actually getting the vaccines into people's arms. And, and a lot of the reason for this is that we had the first two vaccines authorized in December. The goal was to have 20 million people vaccinated within about a month with uh, 5 to 10 million people vaccinated each week. Well, as of January 6, despite 17 million doses being distributed, only about 5 million people have received their first dose. And again, vaccine efficacy is greatest after the second dose. And so we're just now having these patients get their second dose. So really, this is going far slower than we would like. There are a number of ways in which the vaccine is going to be allocated. We've seen the first tier initiated uh, focusing on healthcare professionals and residents of long-term care facilities. This will be followed by two different groups. There has been some bleeding between these uh, two tiers from what the CDC recommended. Some states have moved the age over 65 down to tier 1B. Others have different age thresholds. The reason why this is important is that although we would love to be able to vaccinate everyone, there's large numbers of individuals in each of these groups and very limited supply of vaccine. There's about 24 million individuals that are in the healthcare personnel and long-term care facility population, just shy of 50 million people in the over 75 and essential frontline workers. And then once you start adding the 65 to 75 year age group, you're up to somewhere between 28 to 32 million individuals. And then once you start getting into the population that are non-frontline essential workers and patients with risk factors, you have 129 million people in that population. So again, it's a huge number of patients. And even if we're continuing at our current pace, it's going to take us a very long time to get these individuals vaccinated. While we're waiting on the final details of what they mean by some of these uh, terms, such as frontline essential workers, there's some outlining of what is considered by CDC to represent this. How the states interpret this uh, will be of interest. They're starting to uh, come out with those uh, guidelines. Likewise, which conditions are considered associated with more severe disease? Here's the list from CDC, but again, different healthcare systems and uh, states may add other risk factors to their list. 
There's been a lot of talk about the novel variant of SARS-CoV that emerged in the United Kingdom. This has a number of mutations, including the mutation, uh, one mutation affecting the spike protein. Modeling suggests that this isn't going to impact the uh, vaccine efficacy, but of greater concern, another variant with three spike mutations that's emerged in South Africa does have mutations that would predict reduction in efficacy of some of the vaccines. Uh, and definitely recently, as of yesterday, was found to be associated with reduction in uh, neutralization with convalescent plasma. So really the question that everyone has is, when are we going to be able to get back to work and get back to our normal lives, start taking vacations with travel? Because that's what we all want, and that's what we were promised with these vaccines. There are a number of different ways that this can be estimated. The best estimates are with the curve here in the middle. This is estimates from the McKinsey Group, in which they really look at about a six-month period of time to vaccinate the majority of the U.S. population. I think that there's some question as to whether or not that is holding or holds true. If we go with the best estimate, it will be not until the third or fourth quarter of this year before we hit herd immunity and we can really truly expect to have normal of our function. If rollout is slower, if there's hiccups in uh, manufacturing or other challenges, it may not be until this time next year or later uh, that we hit that point of herd immunity when it will be safe to return to normal function. And the reason for thinking about these last couple of issues is while we all want to get the COVID vaccine, not everyone is going to be able to have access uh, to these vaccines, and it's going to take us some time. As a result, since none of these vaccines are 100% effective, it's going to mean that we're going to have to continue wearing our masks, doing our best to socially distance, wash our hands, and limit our travel to keep everyone safe. Hopefully this has been a helpful review of the currently available SARS-CoV-2 vaccines and what the expected rollout is going to be. All right. Thanks again, Dr. Eisen. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.